ขอครับ So today is the 9th of July in 2022. So we're going to talk about the dispensation of the fully self-awakened Buddha. You can say that the Buddha is the owner of the Buddha Sasana, of this Buddhist religion. And he taught the Dhamma, which enabled for the awakened Sangha to arise in the world. And these uh, awakened members of the religion, they have extended the life of the Buddha Sasana right to this present day. So we see that the Sasana uh, Pugala, these people, the members of the Sasana and the Dhamma of the Sasana, it's a very important. So all Buddhists are people who have faith. <coughs> and we can write from uh, Anya Gondanya and Lady Visaka the great male and female disciples, lay disciples of the Buddha. And their good name, their good reputation, has spread right down to this present day. We still hear about their sacrifices, about their great qualities and virtues, and just how much faith they had. Like with the story of uh, the coming into being of Jaitavanup Monastery outside of Savati. And the land that this monastery encompassed was no small amount of land. It was no less than about 250 hectares. And the prince, uh, Jaita, he wanted uh, to well, he agreed to sell this land, but on the one condition that the person he was selling it to had to cover the entire uh, plot of land with gold coins so that there was no empty space at all. And he was selling the land to an underpindaka, who was a very wealthy man. And so it's normal that he was kind of... He knew how wealthy he was, and so he's trying to trick him a bit. But through the great faith uh, that he had, uh, he sacrificed and gave his wealth in order to buy this, this land so he could offer it as a monastery to the Buddha. And that's how this monastery came about. And Lord Buddha, he stayed at Jaitavana uh, longer than anywhere else. He spent many range retreats there. And there were huge numbers of people, both people, devas, and Brahma gods, who attained to the Dhamma there. Also, a lot of the Vinaya, the monastic uh, code, was set down at Jaitavana. So there was this great goodness um, that came from that, and from what all of us do, with helping to support the Buddha-sasana by building monasteries and dwellings and places for people to meditate. This is the sasana-vattu, 
the materials of Buddhism. And they allow for the people who wish to practice to be able to do so. That we have this Dharma hall here, we have other dwellings that can give us shelter. And if we don't have that shelter, especially during this period of rains, then it'll be really difficult for the monks to be able to stay there, for them to be able to form them, perform their monastic duties. And for that to happen, there does need to be this material aspect of the religion, so that people can practice. But if we build these buildings, and no one comes to practice in them, then the amount of value that they give lessens. However, if we build a monastery, we build Dharma halls, and there are people who come to meditate, who come to pay homage and develop their kamatana objects, then the value that arises from that increases. Because it gives value to the hearts of the people that use them. It gives rise to the sasana pugala, the members of the religion. So when we build an abhosata hall, well that allows us to perform ordination ceremonies, and so a lot of benefit comes from that. So today, at this monastery, Watmapjan, there were eight people who ordained as monks, who were going to spend this, this rains retreat here, so this is giving rise to the Sasana Pugala, the members of this religion. They can train, they can practice, and help to prolong the life of Buddhism. Because if no one new came to ordain, and the people who already had ordained, they just got older and older and then eventually passed away, then the uh, Sangha would be depleted it would go extinct. So that aspect of the Sasana Pugala would leave this world. So when we say the members of this religion, we talk about the bhikkhus, the bhikkhunis, and the lay men and lay women, those who have this faith and interest to practice the Dhamma, so that they can gain a deep understanding of the Dhamma within their heart, so that wisdom can arise so that the sasana dhamma, the dhamma of this religion, can appear. So this is the dhamma that we know in line with reality. But if we know and don't see, that's also dhamma. But it's a dhamma that isn't true. It's a dhamma in the world. In order for it to be true dhamma, we need to see it within our hearts. So just like how Anya Kondanya saw the Dhamma, saw it in its truth, and the Buddha exclaimed, Anyasi Watapo Kodanyo, and Kodanya knows, Kodanya knows. So he had been searching for this truth for a long time, until eventually he listened to this teaching and he was able to become the first member of the Sangha in the dispensation of our Buddha. So this Dhamma arose within his heart. 
And if we're going to talk about kind of the practicing traditions of uh, Buddhism in our current age, then about a hundred years ago, no one was talking about arahants. Or we'd hear, just arahants, we'd hear about them uh, from people telling stories from the scriptures from the time of the Buddha, but we wouldn't hear about them in our current age. But when these Kruba Ajans, uh, the important Kruba Ajans, they kind of came about, then people started talking about arahants, that in this province and that province there are arahants there, in Ayutthaya and Kanchanaburi, Sarapuri, even in Bangkok, there are arahants there. So the founders of this forest tradition in Thailand, Venerable Ajahn Man, Ajahn Tsao, they sincerely practice this way. Ajahn Man had, before he had uh, developed his Bharamis as a Bodhisattva, and during the time of the Buddha, he was a minister um, at that time. And he made the aspiration to become a future Buddha. And so in the last life that he took, um, in our day and age, he helped to revive Buddhism. And there were many of his disciples who had great Bharami. And he had no fewer than a hundred Arahant disciples. And this is no small number. And so those um, disciples, they included Venerable Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Mahabur. So they took this way of practice until the Sasana Dhamma arose within their hearts. And then when they taught, they taught from their hearts. They were able to spread these teachings, able to teach the Vinaya, because they had this great sincerity there. They really set their hearts on this practice. And they're really important people, because their hearts had purity. And so the kindness, the metta that they had within their hearts, it was profound and had a profound effect on people. And it could raise the level of people's minds so that they became higher. They could rise or lift people up out of their laziness, out of their bad qualities. And those who didn't have any uh, samadhi or mindfulness or wisdom or didn't have much interest in keeping virtue, they were able to kind of train them and lift them up so that the Dhamma arose within their hearts, so that they gained the Dhamma of virtue, the Dhamma of samadhi, the Dhamma of wisdom. So we too practice following this way, and we are beings of little barami, of little spiritual virtues. But as Ajahn Chah put it, that even though a barami may be small, if we're close to 
a great teacher, then we receive their teachings frequently and we're able to understand the Dhamma and to see the Dhamma all the same. And our practice can develop quickly as well. So these great teachers are important and having respect for them is one of the great blessings in life. Because these Krubhajans, they've seen the Dhamma, they've attained to the Dhamma. They have set themselves in the Dhamma and the Vinaya. And so the Sasana Dhamma has arisen within their hearts. But for us, we set our hearts on practicing this way as well. We have effort. We need to be people who are strong, who don't run away. But we take it for real. And even though the practice may be hard, we still put on the effort, we still try to do it. We still persist. We take up these practices of eating just the one time in the day, or eating all our food in the one vessel. So for myself, before I ordained, I would see these meditation monks doing this, putting all their food together. They would have their sweets and the curries and the soup all mixed up in the one bowl. So there was one time that um, when I had ordained that Ajahn Chah gave a talk about this, about putting everything just in the bowl and eating just the one time. And then the next day, as uh, I was sitting there before the meal, there was Ovaltine that came around. I didn't have a cup to put it in, so it got poured into my bowl. And there was mostly just sticky rice there in my bowl, uh, so they actually, they weren't so bad to eat together. But then some chili sauce was passed around, and I thought it'd be better not to take any of that. So you need to be a bit careful as well. So I trained in this actually before I ordained, um, putting everything together in just the one vessel all of the uh, curries and the sauces and the sweet uh, desserts as well, and having them there just in that one vessel. And I ate like that for eight months before I ordained. It's difficult to describe what the taste was like. Even I didn't really know what flavor it was. But I had that intention to ordain, and so I thought I would train myself as a monk beforehand. So if we have this intention, then these are things that we can do. But we also need to look at our health as well and take care of our health too. But we set our hearts on this, on eating little, on sleeping little, speaking little, and being awake through our efforts. And these are the practices which wear away but our hearts wear away at the defilements there in our hearts. And we need to go against these forces, because if we don't do that, then we'll just be following all of our old emotions. And these are emotions that come from ignorance, and they take us to liking and disliking, and this just carries on without end.
So we need to go against them. Even though we may be really scared, we still need to train. And in the end, our hearts will come to peace. We may need to recite our meditation words very quickly. Because in this present day, um, the computers, they're very fast. And when we type on the computer, when we search out information, that happens so quickly. So we also need to recite these meditation words quickly as well. Because if we don't do that, then these distracting thoughts will overtake our minds. So we recite Bhutto, Dhammo, Sangho, and we replace these mantras um, with these old thoughts. It's like we're building a new program, inserting a new program into our minds. A program which gives the mind peace, which gives rise to the Dhamma of Samadhi. So that joy can arise, the mind can become collected, and this can develop into wisdom. So wisdom here is the wisdom which allows us to see clearly into the Dhammas which we should see, which we should know. And this is knowing the truth, seeing the truth. So when we see things just ordinarily, what we see is in terms of self. We see a me and a you. We see this person and that person, my country and your country. And this creates chaos, chaos due to ignorance. And the whole world becomes chaotic. But if we have knowledge, then what we'll do is share with one another. We won't harm one another. And then the entire world will become peaceful. We won't need these dangerous weapons. We'll be able to stay together in harmony and peace. We won't take advantage of one another. And when there's harmony there, then there won't be harm. And peace arises. So when we train on this path, what we're doing that for is to reach the truth. But this self which we believe in, where is that self? We say things are beautiful, where is that beauty? We can look at the bones, see how as the bones age, then it's natural for them to get weak and uh, break. And um, sometimes when elderly people have a fall, then they can break their hips. They need to go in for surgery and uh, get some steel, some metal uh, placed in there, while the medical equipment uh, put in there. Because as one gets older, then uh, the calcium in the bones reduce and they become more brittle. And so when we get over the age of 60, then this starts to happen. The age of 70 and 80, we need to be really careful, because just one fall can cause us to break some bones. But when we look at bodies, normally what we see is just the skin. We don't see the things underneath, the flesh, the blood, the bones. So it's the skin which covers over and obscures our view of these other things. So we need to contemplate them, take our samadhi, use that to contemplate the body, the things inside it, the blood, the flesh, the bones, 
and how these are not beautiful things. For myself in my eighth year of my monastic life, I was contemplating into the body and how it's not something attractive. And during that time, I was able to maintain the level of upajara samadhi, this neighborhood samadhi. And I could see the body was not beautiful. And through that, my mind became very clean and bright and beautiful. But when I saw the body as being something beautiful, then the mind wasn't bright at all. However, if I saw it as being unattractive, then the mind became radiant through the truth. So this inner beauty, it comes from seeing the lack of beauty in things. But if we see these things as being beautiful, then that's delusion that tells us that. And this makes our minds gloomy and dark. Dark to the point where we're not really able to see anything. So when one ordains in the Buddha-sasana, the preceptor gives one the meditation objects of kesa, loma, naka, danta, tachu, the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin. And these are the five things which cover over our bodies. These are the parts that we can see. And we deludedly believe that they're beautiful and that they're a self, they're a being, a me, a you. So we need to contemplate these things, take our samadhi and contemplate them so that we see clearly into their nature. And when the mind comes together, we'll be able to see them as not self. You can see this one more time. And here we're beginning to understand the Dhamma. And so this is how it was for me, beginning to understand the Dhamma here. And it felt like my mind was crossing to another world, to Lokutara. And I gained a great confidence here. There wasn't any doubts. The mind gathered together into just one point. So whether I was standing, sitting, walking, lying down, engaging in various duties, I was able to sustain this level of upajara samadhi. So if we see things like this, then our confidence increases. We have this great fullness of effort and sincerity. And so may all of you practice in this way, so that this sasana dhamma appears within your heart. We have these, the sasana vatu, the materials of the religion that people build uh, monasteries and such things. But this is external. These monasteries, whether they're big or small, they're external things, external temples. What we need to do is build an internal temple. And so that this gives rise to the sasana, dhamma. So the dhamma appears right here within our heart. And then through that, we can help to extend the age of the Buddha-sasana. So may all of you have effort, may you really try to practice in this way, both the monastic 
the monks and the laity.